Thank you for joining us. This broadcast is made possible by the Lord and the donations of brethren like yourself. If you would like to give a donation to help keep this broadcast on the air, please visit llgive.com. Thank you and shalom. Shalom. My name is Ephraim Judah with Lion and Lamb Ministries, and thank you for joining us for our Arab Shabbat broadcast here on B'nai From our family to yours, thank you for inviting us into your home each and every week as we set apart the Sabbath, as we worship the Lord and hear from the word of the Lord. We thank you for being a part of this ministry in any way possible for the people watching um, all around the globe. Uh, we love to hear from you guys. And so if you ever want to send in a uh, message that uh, wherever you might be watching from, we greatly appreciate that. And if you are blessed by this broadcast, um, this free broadcast, we ask that uh, if the Lord would stir in your heart to make a donation, you can always go to llgive.com and make a donation uh, to this ministry to keep this broadcast going. Right now it's Friday, uh, September 20th. And uh, we have, we'll be doing our Torah portion of Kitavo for this week. A couple of announcements that we have coming up in the uh, very near future here for the ministry. We have a couple of special services that we will be broadcasting uh, here and on all of our other channels that you can watch, uh, whether that be Facebook Live or on our mobile app. Uh, we will have a special Yom Teruah service that will go live on Sunday, September 29th at 7.30 p.m., an Erev Yom Teruah service. And then also an Erev Yom Kippur service uh, will go live on Tuesday, October 8th. So you can join us uh, for those special services as we celebrate the appointed times. We also are fast approaching the Feast of Tabernacles. Our registration is now closed uh, as of right now. Um, there, if you still want to find out if it's possible, you might be able to get in, perhaps if you have a tent. Uh, all of our RV sites are definitely full. But if you want to contact us, contact the ministry and see if there's any possibility for us to squeeze you in. Um, by all means, we, want, we know that the Lord will bring whoever's meant to be in that camp in Chandler, Oklahoma. Whoever's meant to be there will be there. Um, however, if you're unable to join us for the Feast of Tabernacles, whether that be just no means of traveling or uh, that you weren't able to get in by the deadline, we do have a way for you guys to join us, and that is by watching live our evening programs that we broadcast um, that from Chandler, Oklahoma. If you go to tabernaclesevent.com slash watch 2019, you can, with the donation, with a donation of any amount, we can give you access to watch our broadcasts there from the Feast of Tabernacles. So if you're unable to join us there physically, we hope that you would be able to at least watch and spiritually join in as we celebrate that feast, as we worship the Lord there uh, under the stars, and as you, we uh, hear from great uh, teachers and guest speakers as they share from the word of the Lord. So we encourage you to go to that site and consider doing that. Again, for a donation of any amount, you can get access to watch our services uh, 
there at the Feast of Tabernacles. Once again, that is at tabernaclesevent.com slash watch2019. We thank you for being a part of this ministry in any way uh, that you can, and we are very blessed uh, to continue to be this service to you. Now, let us close out this work week and by setting apart the Kiddush and the family blessings. Shabbat Shalom. We're the Judah family, and welcome to our home. Please join us as we usher in the Sabbath. to be a light unto the nations and has given us Yeshua the Messiah, the light of the world. Amen. Amen. And now the Kiddush, blessing Amen. over the cup. Baruch HaTadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Pri HaGahafin Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who creates the fruit of the vine. Amen. Now the Hamotzi, blessing over the bread. Hamotzi lechem min haaretz. We give thanks to God for bread. Our voices rise in song together as our joyful prayer is said. Baruch atarunai, Eloheinu melech haolam, hamotzi lechem min haaretz. Amen. Blessed art thou, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from out of the earth. Amen. (laughs) Husbands, let's bless our wives. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our wonderful wives that you've given to us, Lord, and we thank you, Lord, for beautiful wives of Proverbs. Thank you, Lord, for my wife and the blessing that she is to our home and to our family. Bless her, encourage her, and strengthen her as she teaches and educates the children, as she wakes up in the morning to take care of them and see about the ways of the household. Father, I thank you for the wonderful blessing she is to me and to our home. I pray that you would encourage her and strengthen her and pour out your very best blessing upon her on this Sabbath day. So we love you and bless you and thank you for all of these things, Lord. In Yeshua's name, amen. Amen. Now let's bless our sons. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ephraim and Manasseh. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Now let's bless our daughters. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And may you be as Ruth and as Esther. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Bahu et Arunai Hamvorach. Baruch Arunai Hamvorach Leolaham Vahed. Bless the Lord who is to be praised. Blessed be the Lord who is praised for all eternity. Amen. And now the Michamocha. Michamocha. Baelim Adonai. Michamocha. Nedahar Bachodesh. No Lot. Now the blessing of the Messiah. Baruch atah Adonai, Elheinu melech ha'olam, asher natan lanu et derech ha'yeshua b'mashiach yeshua. Altogether, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the way of salvation in Messiah Yeshua. Amen. And now the Veshamru. Veshamru v'nei Yisrael et ha-shabbat, la'asot et ha-shabbat, l'adrotam barit olam, b'nei ovayom b'nei Yisrael ot'hi le'olam, k'sheshet yamim asadonai et ha-shamayim v'et ha-aret v'yom ha-shavi shabbat v'yinafash. All together, the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath and observe the Sabbath throughout their generations as an everlasting covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he ceased from his work and was refreshed. Amen. And now the Shema, if you'd all turn and face east toward Jerusalem for the watchword of our faith, the Shema. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad, Baruch Shem, Kivod Malchuto, Le'olam Vayed. Yeshua HaMashiach Hu Adonai. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. Blessed be His name, whose glorious kingdom is forever and ever. Yeshua the Messiah, He is Lord. Amen. And now the Ve'achavta. Ve'achavta et Adonai Ochecha b'chol levavcha uv'chol nashicha uv'chol meodecha. Veheyu hadevarim haale asher nachime zavcha hayom alevavecha. Veshinantam lavenecha 
Altogether. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and they shall be for frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Amen.
Father, on this set-apart time, we cry holy, kadosh, kadosh, laka. 
There is none like you, Father, in all the earth. How majestic is your name. Lord, we just lift you high in this place and we thank you for everything that you are doing. Everything that you have done and that you will done. Lord, you, you are the author of all things. You are making all things new in every season, Father, and we just praise you. Father, we lift our voices to you today. We lift our hearts, our minds to you to give you praise and to give you glory.
to the book of Deuteronomy, to chapter 26, where our Torah portion of Kitavo will begin for this week. And as you open the scripture, I will do the blessing before the Torah. Baruch atarunai Eloheinu melech haolam, asher b'chabanu mekol ha'amim, venatan lanu et torato, baruch atarunai nonten ha-torah amen. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has chosen us from among all peoples and has given us your Torah. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. Our Torah portion comes to us from Deuteronomy chapter 26 and extends all the way through uh, the first part of chapter 29. As we're coming here to the end of the book of Deuteronomy, once again we have uh, Moses speaking to the generation that's going to cross over into the land. 
and who is going to inherit the gifts and the, and, and the land and the inheritance that God has given to them as they are his chosen people. He's delivered them from the Egyptians. And this is the generation now that has outlived the previous generation in the wilderness getting ready to go into the land. Last week's Torah portion talked about how when they go into the land, there were certain things that they are to do when they're walking by the way, when they are, um, if they were to be walking along the road and were to see their neighbor's donkey or their ox, how are they to behave and how are they to act in that way? And there was a great deal of commandments that we were, that the people were commanded to do so that they might live uprightly and walk uprightly before the Lord that they would act like a holy people, like a people who have uh, the rule of law, the rule of order, that it's not just chaos and anarchy. Now this Torah portion, entitled Kitavo, which comes from the phrase, when you enter into the land. You might look and contrast last week's portion with this one and say, well, when you go out, you're to act this way. And when you go in, you are to to act this way as well. Well, it's not as much a physical entering in that is being described and is the theme of this Torah portion. What it actually is and has more to do with is when you enter into covenant with God. Now, we know the children of Israel are in covenant with God. He has said these things and he's made covenant with their fathers and their their uh, forefathers that as we have led to this point in time with this generation going into the land we already know god's in covenant with them but there are many different layers to a covenant there are many different um, acts and ceremonies and services and things that you do to show you are in covenant with someone now many all different types all relationships are a type of covenant but it always depends on how many of these ceremonies or how many of these particular things that are done in the course of the forming of the covenant or the maintaining of the covenant, how many of these different ceremonies are done will sometimes determine the strength of that covenant. And when the children of Israel enter into the land, there are some very specific things that they are to do when they enter into the land, things they are to to give to the Lord, things they are to say, then what it is is that it is, this is talking about a renewing of that covenant, a, a, a retelling, a performing certain acts to show that this people is in covenant with God. It begins first in this way where we have this commandment. Let me read here in Deuteronomy 26. It shall be when you come into the land that the Lord your God is giving to you as an inheritance and you possess it and dwell in it that you shall take some of the fruit and all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring from your land that the Lord your God has given you, and put it in a basket, and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to make his name abide, and you shall go to the one who is priest in those days, and say to him, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the country which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand, set it before the altar of the Lord your God, and shall answer and say before the Lord your God, My father was a Syrian, about to perish, and he went down to Egypt and dwelt there, few in number, and there he became a nation, great, mighty, and populous. But the Egyptians mistreated us, afflicted us, and laid hard bondage on us. Then we cried out to the Lord our God, and the Lord heard our voice, our voice, looked on our affliction, 
and our labor and our oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm, with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he has brought us to this place and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given to me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God and worship before the Lord your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which the Lord your God is giving you and your house, you and the Levite and the stranger who is among you. Let me stop there. This is a procedure and a, a commandment that has been given to the children of Israel when they enter into the land. And that this was a procedure they could not do until God had revealed the place which he will put his name. That place, of course, later being confirmed to be Jerusalem after the time of, the, of Joshua conquering the land and the time of the judges, and that Jerusalem would become this place in which this offering was to be brought. So we're speaking into the future here. We already have the precedent that we're speaking into the future of what the children of Israel were to do after being in the land and giving this gift to the Lord. And it wasn't just the giving of a gift. It wasn't just a basket of fruit that they were to pull off of their vineyards and their gardens and the things that they have had and have received there in the land and to then go and just drop it off at the doorstep of the Lord and then walk away. No, there was a whole other ceremony and procedure to this. There was a statement that they were to make that was a retelling of the story of how they got there in the first place, going all the way back to their, to saying, my father was a Syrian, or some translations say a wandering Aramean. This is, of course, a connection back to Jacob, who went back to the area of Syria where he worked for his uncle Laban when, he had been, when his life had been threatened by his brother Esau. And he went, and that was the first time in which he ever had to sort of had to flee, and that began truly the story of this group of people. When we call them, when we call this group of people, we call them the children of Israel. Israel, of course, was the name that Jacob's name was changed into. So we're all beginning with that. We're, we're looking to Jacob as the father of this particular group of people. Now, of course, we could say that they're the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But the focus is upon Jacob here. And not so much that, he's, that we're focusing on his name because his name has, carries great prestige. Jacob's name or Israel's name has this, this level of prestige to it, knowing this is one of the patriarchs. This is one of the people that we look to in the past that God had a covenant relationship. No, what it actually, this prayer is more of a humble prayer because we don't even mention Jacob by name. We mention him by my father was a Syrian about to perish that there were those that were coming against him, that there were certain situations. This also could connect back to Abraham as well, because Abraham also came from the same area as well before he entered into the promised land, into the land of Canaan. So because of this prayer, there's a little bit of an ambiguous nature to we're recognizing that our forefathers, though their names carry great prestige, we're recognizing the humility of where we've come from. Anytime that you say, well, my father was was this man that was in this terrible place, about to perish. He was poor. He was struggling. What you're doing is you're actually talking about and you're emphasizing the place that they've come out of, yet the Lord has still continued to bless them. This is before their names became great. This was before their names carried the, the weight and the clout with the, that we speak of even to these days. 
that they were once were in this situation. So there's this humility in this prayer and saying, look, we did this. Then we had to go down to Egypt. We had to save. And then we were mistreated there. And all of these things have happened to us. And so we don't have anything truly to, to lift us up in our name. We're very humble in recognizing God has done these things. God delivered our father from that situation. God delivered us uh, away from the famine to go to Egypt. And God delivered us out of Egypt when they mistreated us. And God delivered us from the great and terrible wilderness and has brought us even into this land and allowed us to dispossess all the people that, uh, that had that that, that, that were in the land of Canaan, that were great and mighty and were described as giants and we conquered them. And now we get to pull fruit off of orchards that we didn't plant and vineyards that we didn't plant. And God is so faithful in everything that he does. And this is my gift back to him, back to the Lord. This is an act of covenant. In fact, one of the things and is a theme of this entire Torah portion is all the various acts of covenant that you make in your relationship with any one person, and especially with any covenant that we have between us and God. What we have very clearly here is an exchange of gifts, an exchange between the, the blessings and the provisions that is in the possession of one party and is then being given to another. But then there is an expectation in the course of this covenant that this party over here will also return gifts and give back to this one here. In the case of God, man, there is very much one that is greater than the other. That would be God greater than man. And the gift that God is giving to us is one that we are incapable of giving back to the Lord, truly. The ability to have great, to be mighty and strong even in the midst of greater and mightier kingdoms that surround us or even enslave us. Or that we have been given possession of this land and promises that this land would be belong to us and we go get to go into this land, we get to, to, to conquer that land and we have all of these things and God has given us a means to live, to dwell securely, this, this promised land that is lush and fertile and fruitful and all of these things, and God's given this to us, what in the world can we give back to God that is equal in weight? Well, in truth of fact, there, there's not really much we can. God knows this, but he does ask us to bring something. He does ask us to bring a gift back to him, to reciprocate the blessing and the inheritance that God has given to us. And once again, one of the acts of covenant, one of the things in any course of covenant is the giving of a gift or maybe more specifically the exchange of gifts. Whenever you have a relationship with somebody and you give somebody a gift and then they exchange and they give a gift back to you, that's an act of covenant. It's an act that is a relationship that has reached a certain level or that, um, that you are on a friendship basis that you would give gifts to each other. You have friends that you probably have or acquaintances that you're not as close to them that you would exchange gifts on the holidays or birthdays or whatever that might be. You've got friends and you've got an acquaintance, but then you have this one over here. Well, you're going to make sure you remember to give them a gift. You have a different covenant relationship with this person than you do with this one. It all determines the level and the strength of whatever covenant or relationship that you have. And the covenant between us and God definitely includes this particular ceremony, the giving of a gift. And the gift that the children of Israel were to give is this basket of fruit, fruit from the first fruits, not just some from the harvest. No, the very first, the very best is the gift that was to be given to God. Here's something else I want you to think of this word picture here. Imagine if you went to and attended a wedding and in the course of the wedding, you know how they have the exchange of rings in the course of a wedding. 
and that the, the husband gives a ring to the, to the bride, and she then, then vows are made in the process of giving that gift, and then she then gives a ring to him, and then vows are made in the process of exchanging that of that, and the rings represent the gift that is given between a husband and a wife when a wedding is formed. Imagine going to a wedding, and only one of them received a gift. Only one of them. Let's say, the, let, let's say the bride gave a ring to her husband, but the husband didn't put a ring on her finger. What would you think if you were to see that at a wedding? You'd sit there and be like, is that, is that what a wedding's supposed to be? Is that, is that some sort of equal share in this relationship between one and another? Does, that even, does this even qualify as a marriage or a covenant if you don't actually witness that thing happening? Such is the case with... This situation where the children of Israel are to bring a gift, specifically recognizing the inheritance and the gift that God has given to them in forming covenant, that if the children of Israel weren't commanded to bring this gift, it would be the same thing you sit in there and just be like, this, this doesn't look like a, a true covenant relationship here. So the gifts have to be exchanged. Now, the other thing, too, is this. What if the gift that is exchanged and the rings that are exchanged, what if they don't really have much value? What if the one person gives a gift and you know that the husband bought the ring that has, you know, some big, you know, giant rock on it and it was expensive and all these things. And then the woman, all she was able to really give the guy is like maybe a little plastic ring from a little, you know, 25 cent little thing right there. And that's what she's giving in exchange as well. You would sit there and be like, hmm, I don't know if that's necessarily right or equal in the course of the giving of this covenant. Because you'd want some of that value maybe to, to be, at least be similar. Now, I also know people that, you know, young couples that have a beautiful relationship and, yeah, they're not too big on gifts or whatever. And sometimes they do. Their rings that they exchange or the ring that is proposed with is something that's of, of smaller value, maybe in physical value, but sometimes sentimental value far outweighs the physical value. So for each per person, for each covenant relationship, you know, it's, it's you know, to each their own sometimes. But in the course of the giving of the relationship, that has to be an understanding between them. Well, this is an understanding between God and the children of Israel. That, yes, this basket of fruit doesn't equal the land that was given to the children of Israel. When you're talking about a, a, a plot of ground that can produce uh, pro, produce from the ground and can provide the means to live and to sustain and to build a house and to live and for generations to dwell in, basket of fruit kind of seems quite insignificant. Though, what it does say is this, is that it was to be the best. It was to be the first fruits of the land, of a harvest. The very best. You know, if you ever got, you planted a vineyard or you planted an apple tree and that first apple that's ripe and ready to harvest, don't you think that the person that planted that tree is the one who wants to be the first to take a bite out of that? If you're talking about a farmer who's just planted an orchard and they've been waiting for the yield and the, pro, uh, the, the produce to come out of that work and that labor, and you think anybody, that farmer wants anybody else, even, a, even a, another family member, to be the first that pulls that fruit and takes a bite out of it, uh, I would dare say they would want to be the first to partake. They're the ones that put the work in. They're the ones that put the labor in. And the other thing, too, is that when it's time to start making money off of what we've planted, you would think, let's pull the harvest out, first one out, let's start making money. Let's put them all in baskets, let's go down to the farmer's market, let's sell to a commercial farmer, and let's get the money and the resources out of this, of the work that's been put in here. The first fruits is what everybody wants. But the first fruits belong to the one who planted it. 
the first fruits belong to the one who would put the work in to ensure that we even have an orchard in the first place. That's why the first fruits belong to the Lord, especially in this case. Because these are our orchards and vineyards that the children of Israel did not plant. Yes, God's given them the means to make a great deal of, of, of revenue and to be taken care of because of the produce of the land. But the first fruits belong to God. And actually, if you want to argue and say, well, what if I actually did plant the orchard? What if I did plant the vineyard? And then the first fruits, I did put that by the sweat of my brow. I labored and did that. Yeah, but who actually, truly, if you think about it, grew the plant to maturity? Who put the sun in the sky and the dirt in the ground and the water from the sky to make that happen? It's God. Can't do it without him. Can't do it without God in the place that we, that, that, that where we find ourselves and the life that we have and the breath that we breathe and the bread that we eat comes from God. We have to recognize that. As believers, we recognize that in all things. So even still, the first fruits belong to God. Unfortunately, people have mistreated and misused this particular commandment, sometimes for their own gain. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are, um, there are some churches that I've heard of and, and teachings, and I think I've, I might have even seen some videos on YouTube, of pastors saying that they tell their and teach their congregation about this commandment of the first fruits. And so what they say is that when the calendar year turns, and of course in the secular world today, you know, January is the first, day, first month of the year, and that they teach their congregation, they say, truly, if you want to show your love for the Lord and, that, and return this gift as God commanded it to be, then take your first paycheck in the month of January, your first fruits, your first harvest of the year, and take the entirety of that paycheck and give that to the church. And that that is your tithe, that is your gift to the Lord, that you're giving the Lord your first fruits. I, my spirit just twists into knots when I, saw it, when I hear that. When you can see that somebody, first of all, when you're talking about a paycheck, that, you know, this is somebody's livelihood, and there are times in which God commands to give a tenth of your paycheck to the people who need it and to maybe the common storehouse, to your congregation, and to tithe to the ministry, and to the priest who serves you and, and ministers to you, and to do those things, to give that to the ones who do that work. The Levites didn't have any inheritance, but they served the Lord. And so whenever a tithe was given to the Lord, they were the ones that got to receive that. And so many churches talk about how they are, they are the modern-day priests who minister to the people and that their livelihood is dependent upon the donations of other people. I'm not here to debate all the things of ministry, but I am here to debate that the interpretation of this commandment to somehow draw more out of your congregant members and out of your people once per year on a, on a secular calendar date and somehow think that that's the fulfillment of this covenant, I don't think is something that is uh, right and righteous and appropriate for those that say that. First of all, any donation is obviously supposed to be a stirring in one's heart to be to give what they are capable of giving or what the Lord would stir in their heart to give. And that should always be the message from any ministry to their people to say, as the Lord leads in your heart to give, do so. Not a, 
Well, what we really recommend is that you need to donate this amount for this thing. And that that is really what the donation is required of you for you to keep or fulfill this commandment. No, what that is, is that's a solicitation for money. And that is a for-profit business. That's the one thing that a for-profit business would say, and not one that is in the ministry to serving the people. The Holy Spirit moves in the hearts of people to determine what they either are capable of giving or what the Lord leads somebody to give in that way. In no way should we be demanding or or making some kind of statement like that. And that's where there are charlatans and people who say they work in ministry, but then prove where their heart and where their motivations are and which God they truly serve. This is something we need to make sure that we avoid is that the people that would tell us, because the scripture tells us, look, this is how we're, we're to give. And what it is, is there's a principle to be taught here that we are to recognize what the Lord has given us the means to provide or to provide for us and giving us his gifts. He's met our needs. He does all these things. And then let the Holy Spirit inside of us stir in us to give back to God what would be appropriate for you to give to God. That's the principle of the matter. And you know what, and I'll, I'll say this, even coming from a ministry, that the common storehouse and a large ministry that, uh, that serves and ministers to the people should not be your first choice in which your gift that you wish to give to the Lord should be given. Verse 12 of chapter 26 continues on and says this, When you have finished laying aside your tithe, the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, and you have given it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the fatherless, and the widow, so that they may eat within your gates and be filled, then you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the holy tithe from my house, and also have given them to the Levite, to the stranger, to the fatherless, to the widow, according to your commandments, which you have commanded me. I have not transgressed your commandments, nor have I forgotten them. I have not eaten any of it when in mourning, nor have I removed any of it for any unclean use, nor given any of it for the dead. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord my God and have done according to all you have commanded me. Look down from your holy habitation from heaven and bless your people Israel and the people which you have given us. You just as you swore to our fathers, a land flowing with milk and honey. Once again, the prayer is to continue to be a humble prayer that when he says, we have not transgressed your commandments, we have obeyed this commandment, and that you're not then look down with your holy habitation and bless your people, Israel. Don't just bless me. I may have been the one that have given my tithe, but then say, Lord, bless me. No, bless all of Israel and bless all the people. Again, this prayer of humility and this statement that is made by us to God is what should be said. And notice right there, all the people that should be taken care of with this tithe and this offering. To the Levite, yes. To the priest who serves and ministers between you and with God, yeah, they're included on the list. But so also is the stranger, the fatherless, the orphans, the widows, and so that they may eat within your gates and be filled. You have no right to stand up and say that you've kept this commandment until the widow, the widow, the fatherless, the orphan, and those that are hungry have been fed within your gates. You have not kept the commandment until they're taken care of. That is something that we should be proactive in our giving to the Lord to recognize this is what needs to be taken care of. I guarantee you when God commanded for a basket of fruit to be brought before him and brought before the priest in Jerusalem when the temple was established, I guarantee you somebody had the means to give more than just a basket of fruit. 
And so it says, yeah, give a basket to the Lord. But then you're like, well, you know, when you go to pick fruit and you try to fill one basket, suddenly if you have multiple people, you, you might end up with a couple of baskets of fruit by the time that you're going to figure out, well, who, who's this go to? I'm going to give the Lord the best. So I'm going to make this basket and this is the basket I'm going to give to the Lord. But master, what are we going to do with all of these other baskets? Well, you better look around and you better go into the highways and the byways and into the gates of your city and ask around in your congregation and be doing all of these things to give it to those who need it even before you consume any of it yourself. Specifically when you say, I've not eaten it even in mourning. You can picture this, and, and, and let's do a broad take on the, on the word morning. Even if there was for any reason that you felt, oh, man, it was such a hard day of work. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and take you know, the fruit that I've been picking and doing this hard day, and I'm going to go ahead and eat it because, man, I'm, just, uh, I'm, just, I'm famished and I'm tired, and, and, and then, then I'm going to partake of it. No, you can't do that either. Or that you'll say, oh, something just terrible just happened to me and I, I can't bring myself to go before the Lord or go to congregation this day. And so the money that I would have given to there, it's all, you know what, I, I'm just going to use it for myself and I'm just going to take care of it for myself. No, that is also a transgression of this commandment. It is not that you truly have not given to the Lord if you somehow used what was for the Lord for some other thing, for an unclean use or forgiven anything to the dead. Now, I don't know exactly what that, what that is, but I don't think that you should use tithe money to pay for funeral expenses. That is a mixing and a mingling of something that is not supposed to be the case. That is, you, there is a separation between, between God and the things of the world and the things that are unclean and the things that are dead, and that when you recognize what this gift is for if this gift is for God, then this use must only be used for the purposes of life, for giving life to somebody who's in need. That is what the tithe is for, and we can't be mixing any of those things at all. This is an act of covenant. Once again, this words that are being spoken by the person giving this gift. You can't just give it and leave. The words have to be spoken as well. And then listen to this. This is a recounting of the words and the covenant that God speaks over us here at the end of chapter 26. Verse 16, it says this. This day, the Lord your God commands you to observe these statutes and judgments. Therefore, you shall be careful to observe them with all your heart and with all your soul. Today, you have proclaimed to the Lord your God and that you will walk in his, his ways and keep his statutes, his commandments and his judgments that you will obey his voice. And also today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his special treasure, just as he promised you. And that you should keep all of his commandments and that he will set you high above all nations, which he has made in praise, in name and in honor, that you may be a holy people to the Lord, your God, just as he has spoken. See, now we're talking about the things we say to God. Then we have a recounting of what God has said to us. The giving of the vows that we say this, he says this, a wedding. Uh, this person says, I will do this for you. I will choose you from among, all, from, uh, I, I favor you above all other people, save God and his will, and that the vows are exchanged from one person to this and then the other party back to the other one. God has said some of these same things as well, where he calls us his special people or a peculiar treasure. This is a recounting. Once again, Deuteronomy is the repetition of the law. He's recounting words that God has already spoken to us. 
to the ones who stood at the base of Mount Sinai before hearing the Ten Commandments in Exodus 19. He called them this exact same thing, a special people, a peculiar treasure, speaking this over his people, proving his love and devotion to them. In the same way that any time a man and a wife, you turn to your spouse and you say, I prefer you above all others. You are my special treasure. You are my, you are the apple of my eye. And that that is a recounting of the, of the covenant that we have between you and that person. And it proves the love and the devotion and, and the, the level of the relationship that you have. God has said those same things to us. That should soften our hearts. That should, that, that should lift us up in the saying that God has looked up, down upon us in this way. And you know what? It's not just for the people who heard these words standing either at the base of Mount Sinai or on the east side of the Jordan getting ready to receive the inheritance that he has proclaimed these things to us. And let me tell you this way. Is that God has the power to declare the ends from the beginning that he has the power to say something, that God exists outside of time. And when he makes a statement, whether he made it in the past or whether he'll make it in the future, he has the power for statements made in the past to continue into the future, and he has the power to make a statement in the future that resonates even in events that have taken place long before. That is the power of God's speech, who exists outside of time. I love it in my scripture. I love reading the Bible. Anywhere that it ever says today, if you highlight your Bible, grab one of your bright highlighters and just highlight the word today anytime that you see it. I read it, I said it a couple of times, uh, beginning of verse 17, today you have proclaimed the Lord. And verse 18, and also today the Lord has proclaimed you to be a special treasure. Start of verse 16, this day the Lord your God commands you. The power of this speech and the power of these words exist outside of time. That when you read them, it is not just for the people that were there in ancient times who heard them, but that those words resonate to you even today. Today, the one where you're hearing this, this recording and this broadcast going out for the people, whether you're watching it you know, on Friday night, whether you're watching it over the weekend, or several years from now, you come back and you're watching some archived uh, Torah teachings. Today, the Lord has proclaimed you to be his peculiar treasure, his special people. He has chosen you as the apple of his eye. Today, yesterday, tomorrow, 100 years from now. The statement still rings true. That's the power of the God that we serve. We should take that to heart when it comes to, the again, when we have that level of relationship with somebody, that statements were made in the past that resonate even to this day. And you know what? Sometimes what you also do is that you, you continue to remember the covenant that you have and you set up means to remember it. You set up anniversaries. You take your wedding contract or your ketubah that you signed when you, were, when you were married and you hang that on a wall and you set up all of these things in, in an effort to maintain the covenant and to remember the covenant for you to not forget what God has done for you. Just like a spouse should never forget what somebody has done for them and the relationship that they have and the years of a relationship that they have, none of that should be forgotten. That is the way every covenant should be formed. And this is the way the covenant that is being formed here is being done for the children of Israel. And saying, even when you go into the land, speaking into the future, 
I already said God was speaking into the future already. We just, I wasn't just saying that it's going a couple of years when they go into the land. No, I'm saying it goes in far enough into the future that it resonates with us today. Chapter 17, or sorry, chapter 27 continues this exact same thing. Moses, with the elders of Israel, commanded the people, saying, Keep all of the commandments which I command you today. It shall be on the day when you cross over to the Jordan into the land that your God has given you. You shall set up for yourselves large stones, whitewash them with lime. You shall write them all the words of this law when you have crossed over, that you may enter into the land which the Lord your God has given you, a land flowing with milk and honey. And it says specifically, uh, therefore, when you've crossed over the Jordan, that on Mount Ebal you shall set up these stones which I command you today, and you shall whitewash them with lime. And there you shall build an altar for the Lord your God, an altar of stones. No iron tool has been uh, has taken to those stones, and you're to offer burnt offerings. And I'm starting to paraphrase now as this whole procedure by which when you go into the land, when you enter in, go to this mountain, make these stones, set them up, write down the law, make an altar, make sacrifices and burnt offerings, because I am proving to you right here and now that I am confirming this covenant with you today. Because what's going on here is that, and this is a whole procedure that takes place, and we've even, we've even touched on that this previously, that this, that this was not a new uh, piece of information. We knew we were going to go to these two mountains when they go into the land, and that they were going to do these things. And there's this mountain called Mount Ebal, and then there's mount, this mountain called Mount Gerizim, and the rest of chapter 27 goes into this whole procedure that the children of Israel were to do once they went into the land, and then this is confirmed again in the future in Joshua chapter 8 at verse 30, that they went and they did exactly this. And it's this interesting procedure here where they separated some on Mount Gerizim and separated some on Mount Ebal, and that they blessed the people that were on Mount Gerizim, and they cursed the people that were on Mount Ebal, and there's a whole other teaching that is that comes from this whole procedure here. But I'm getting ahead of myself. Before we get to that point, we've got to remember what's going on here again. We're confirming the covenant. We're writing down a repetition of the law and of the commandments. This is what we're doing in the process of, of, of all of these things. There's multiple acts of covenant that are going on here. I already told you that the giving of a gift is part of making a covenant. The making of a vow is a part of a covenant. The signing of a contract is a part of a covenant. Also, the setting up of a monument, putting something in place that represents and stands as a witness to the covenant that is being formed. The rewriting or retelling of the contract or the vows that are exchanged are also an act of covenant as well. I guarantee you when somebody was married, but then they go and they renew their vows, another act of covenant to strengthen the covenant relationship. Just because the words have been written down once in a book by Moses doesn't mean that then when we go, and that's that's setting up of the covenant, but then we go to these uh, stones here, we rewrite the words of the covenant, and that is a continuation and an act of covenant as well. Oh, by the way, set up an altar, make sacrifices as well, sacrifices, cutting, bloodletting, all of these things also are parts of covenant. All of these things are all being done by building the covenant relationship with God and the children of Israel, and not just the children of Israel, to all people who would hear the words of this covenant and would agree to the terms of this covenant. That one phrase there where I said um, at the beginning of chapter 27 where it said that the people are to say, we keep all of the commandments which I command you today. This is daunting for people who are not under, truly, who do, don't understand 
the commandments that we find in Torah. It's daunting to think that we have to keep all of the commandments, all of them, all 613. How can anybody keep all of the commandments? Let me go ahead and come out and say this. In my New King James where it says all, the better translation of that word would be keep each of the commandments which I command you today. There's a big difference when you say keep each of the commandments rather than all of the commandments. It's a psychological thing where you kind of you, you think about it and you're like, oh, each of the commandments. I can do that. Keep all of the commandments. Oh, that sounds kind of hard. If you keep each of the commandments, this is the way that this is one way that I like to, to look at it is that there is oftentimes very, very few times ever can you keep more than one commandment at any given point in time. So you find yourself in an interaction or having a conversation with somebody and you have the commandment to, you know, show kindness or to rebuke a brother who you think who you find in sin or something like that. And well, in the course of that conversation, you you obviously um, you can only keep one of those commandments at that same time. You're obviously during the course of that conversation, not keeping the commandment to set apart the Sabbath. If you're at any other day besides the Sabbath, then do you have to be focusing on the commandment of keeping the Sabbath? No, of course not. <laughs> if you're not at any appointed time, are you keeping any commandments for the appointed times? No. If you're not walking by the way, do you have to worry about the commandment of finding your neighbor's ox in a ditch? No, you're not walking by the way. You in no way would find your neighbor's ox stuck in a ditch while you're sitting in your home. So when you're keeping the commandments, there's no point in focusing or trying to figure out that, how to keep all of the commandments, but you keep each of the commandments. This is the question we get in, uh, here at the ministry all the time is, where do I start? I just learned about the Hebrew roots of my faith. I just learned about, about keeping Torah and, and all of these things. How, how, do I keep, how do I keep all the commandments of Torah? One commandment at a time is sometimes what our, is often what our counsel is. You can't keep all of them at one given point in time, but you keep each one as they come to you. You keep them one at a time. That's how we walk uprightly before the Lord. Don't ever let somebody who thinks you're being legalistic roll their eyes and say, oh, you can't keep all of those commandments. Or that they try to pick out one commandment that's no longer applicable, you know, where it's talking about, oh, the law, the, the law against servants. Do you have any servants? Well, no. Well, then you can't keep all of the commandments. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's like, no, unless you find yourself in that situation, I don't have, you're right, I don't have to keep that commandment at that point in time, but should I find myself in that situation, I will do all that God has commanded me to do. I will obey my God that has told me to do those things when I find myself in that position. Don't try to pick out one commandment as some sort of outlier that then proves and allows you to wipe away a whole lot of other commandments that you really don't want to keep in the first place. Don't do that. Don't allow somebody to, to accuse you of that because it's not about keeping all the commandments. It's about keeping each of the commandments as they come. And if you truly love the Lord your God, then you will commit to do those things. You sit there and you, you teach your children the same thing. If you love your parent, obey your parent. Clean your room when you're asked to do it. Do you know, pick up this, do this, come to the table when we call, when it's time for dinner. Wash your hands before coming to the table because we've told you to do that. Do those things and that will show that you are in this relationship, covenant, this covenant relationship of us being in a family together. Do these things to show you are in covenant. Do you want to be in covenant with the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Do you want to have a relationship with the almighty creator of heaven and earth? This is how you do it. 
by remembering these things, by keeping these things, by obeying his words and his covenant and his commandments. And he is so powerful and he is so loving and compassionate and gracious. He's also just, but he's also merciful. And so, yeah, he does some things that sometimes we might wonder and say, Lord, what are you doing in this situation? But you know what, Lord, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you because I'm in covenant with you. And I will do my best to follow these things and follow these commandments because I know blessings come from keeping these commandments. I choose life. I choose the blessing. I don't want the curses in life. So don't curse. Don't curse people out. Don't curse God. Don't, don't, don't. What will be returned to you is what you give. What you reap is what you will sow. And so when you speak of God in a certain way or of your neighbors or your brethren in a certain way, what you, what you give is what will be returned back to you. It's an equal exchange. So when you give, it's like, so then when you do give a gift to somebody, don't give a half-hearted gift. Don't give something you had lying around the house. That happens, that's actually happened often to me, you know, when you're seeing friends or family or something like that. And they're like, oh, let me, let me give you something here. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. And you just go and you, you give it. And you're like, oh, thank you. And it's like, oh, yeah, I had that lying around the house. It's still got a quarter inch of dust on it. But I, I thought you'd like that. Or maybe, maybe, maybe your kids might like this or something like that. And I am not talking about somebody specific, if you might be thinking that. But I'm, I'm saying that this absolutely has happened with multiple people over the course of, of my life. Is that truly a gift? Is that one that's thoughtful? Is that one that's, that's thought out? Of course not. You sit there and you're like, okay, thanks. That's because the giving of gift is an act of covenant. You can build a relationship by giving a good gift, and you can damage a relationship by giving a bad one. Same thing with any of these things. Any of these acts or these things that you might do before the Lord, if you do it half-heartedly, if you don't follow it as God commanded it to be, if you don't recognize the significance of what is going on every time that you go to worship the Lord in one way or another, then you are not recognizing the covenant relationship that you have with the Lord. Children of Israel were given very specific commandments, and actually blessings upon them, they did exactly this. As I said, the next procedure that's given to us in our scripture and in our Torah portion is recorded in Joshua 8.30 as they actually did these things. They separated the children of Israel, they put them on these mountains, and they proclaimed blessings over one and curses on another. And that they were this, this whole very interesting thing that was said, and another vow, another statements, the statements that are to be made here by the children of Israel. These are some of them that follow here, that they are to, to say these things, and, and then they were to say amen when each of these things are done. Let me start at verse 14 of chapter 27. This is the procedure the children of Israel were to follow. And the Levites shall speak with a loud voice and say to all the men of Israel, Cursed is the one who makes a carved or molded image, an abomination to the Lord, the, the work of the hands of the craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed is the one who treats his father and his mother with contempt. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who moves his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who makes the blind to wander off the road, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who perverts the justice due to the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. The people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's bed, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with any kind of animal, and the people shall say amen. Cursed is the one who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother, and the people shall say amen. 
Cursed is the one who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who attacks his neighbor secretly, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is the one who takes a bribe to slay an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. You get the picture here of all of these terrible, terrible things that people could do that are these, these sins that are, that are perverse and heinous and just outright evil in their own way, that all the people were to stop and to say and proclaim that amen, cur- that these are curses, these are terrible things that anybody could do. And the other thing, too, it starts off from the very beginning. Anyone who sets up an idol in secret. See, that's the pattern of all of these things that was spoken, is that these are things that you would do in secret. These aren't things that would be necessarily public knowledge. Anytime that you ever did any of those things, any of these things that are described, you could do them, and who would know that you did them? Who would know that you, that, that, that you moved your, your neighbor's landmark, that, you know, you just a little inch over there. I want to have, you know, a couple more feet of, of land that belongs to me. Or send a, a blind man wandering down the wrong road, and he, a blind man who doesn't know where he's going, and ask you, hey, where, where, where do I go to go this way? And you know it's down this road. Instead, you just send him down that road there. The blind man goes wandering around, and the blind man's not going to know if he got additionally lost or didn't hear the words correctly. But you will know that you sent them down the wrong path. And once again, something that you would secretly do. Treats his father and mother with contempt. Yeah, the ones that that curses somebody under their breath when no one is in earshot. All the sexual sins that would take place that, you know, you'd you'd do out of your own lusts. And that, yeah, you'd keep those things secret as well. You take a bribe to slay an innocent person, hire a hitman or be a hitman to do these things. These These are the most heinous acts that you can think of as far as breaking Torah. Anybody who's never heard Torah before can read these things in, in their spirit, that in the part of us that, that God has created, even people who are non-religious, who've never read a word of the Bible, would read these things and just be like, yeah, that's not cool. Because, that's, because these are things that should be understood. But we make the statement and we understand that cursed is the one who does these things. These are curses and these are terrible things. But this is, again, part of covenant language when you say that, yeah, when you make a true covenant, you say, here are blessings for doing these particular elements of the covenant, but here are curses if you don't follow the words of the covenant. If you break the words of the covenant, then blessings will be removed from you. These things shall be happen to you if you break these things. And it's like every, every good covenant clearly defines... What is what the good things that will happen to you for doing good? And what are the negative things that will happen to you for doing bad? Now, on wedding days, we always want to try and stay very positive, And many of the vows that are made in weddings are always to the affirmative. They're always to the positive nature of things. And the only thing that we really point out that's kind of sad in the course of the vows is that they will be terminated upon death. That till death do us part. Upon death is when this covenant is determined. Yeah, we don't watch brides and grooms sit there and talk to each other about all the terrible things that will happen to them if they go. And it's like, should you, should you go following after another woman? Then we will sever the ties of this covenant and by which the, that, that we have an agreement that will, that will sever this and do these things. Now, there is such thing as prenuptial agreements to where that those stipulations are done when often those are always reserved for people that one person is extremely rich marrying somebody who's not as well off and to make sure that the person who is not as well off receives, you know, half of one's estate should that something be removed. And we always hear about prenuptial agreements 
when it comes to um, when it comes to you know rich people and celebrities and, and things like that. But in truth of fact, there is very much there is something very biblical about additions to the agreements by which we understand what will happen upon the breaking of the covenant so that we're all on the same page. People who don't have prenuptial agreements is this is when you get really, really nasty divorces that take great amounts of time to figure out who was right, who was wrong, what did they get, what did they not get, what curses are upon this person, how are we going to treat this person now because they were the one that did wrong, and oh, it's just a big, big mess. Because, yeah, a lot of marriages don't have those stipulations in their covenant agreements. That might be the one... That might be the one thing that truly distinguishes marriage covenants from our covenant with God, because God clearly defines curses that come upon us on the breaking of his covenant. He gives us blessings that will, that will be done to us for keeping the commandments, not just observing them, not just following after them, but doing the commandments of God. Doing or not doing, God tells us what will happen to us in either scenario. In all of these things where it's talking about all these curses that are that are being uh, said here, a lot of the, the, these things that I just read here at the end of chapter 27, many people might say, I've never done that, I've never done that, I've never done that, and that's just, uh, well, yeah, absolutely, cursed is anyone, and everybody would find themselves in agreement with a lot of the things that are being said here. The thing is, I stopped right before the very last one on verse 26 that reads this, Cursed is the one who does not confirm all the words of this law by observing them. And all the people shall say amen. And by observing them, I mean by doing them. Yeah, we've all kind of fallen short on that one. Publicly, secretly, all of us have in our course of our actions of our lives have failed to confirm the words of the covenant that God has said by doing them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And all the people shall say amen. We have to understand that we are in an uphill battle to continue to serve the Lord and to show our allegiance to him and the covenant that we have with him and recognizing the covenant that we have with him. He is God. He is righteous. He is gracious and he is merciful and all of these things. And we are not, we have fallen short of these things. That's why we, but, and, and one could throw in the towel and quit and have no extra effort whatsoever to try and, and, and prove this to the Lord. God looks at our heart. God looks at how we pursue the keeping of the covenants, the keeping of the commandments that he has given to us. He sees our heart in the process of doing those things. Well, that should be our testimony of how we act, how we behave, not just the fact that, yeah, we, all of us have fallen short in some of these commandments. All of us have made mistakes. All of us have sinned. Some of us have done it willfully, defiantly. Some of us do it accidentally. Some of us do it reactionary to somebody else doing something that they shouldn't have done. All of these things and these sins come upon us. But let us do with our whole heart and even say amen to the thing that says, yeah, cursed is the one who doesn't confirm the words of this covenant. We've all broken them, and we accept and understand there's a curse upon us because of it. Here in the, uh, in the scripture here where I just said amen several times over is actually one of only two places in all of scripture where the word amen even appears. The word amen also appears in Numbers chapter 5 in the law concerning the jealousy of a husband who would then bring his wife who, th who thinks has been unfaithful to her before the priest. 
And then other words of covenant shall be proclaimed over her that saying that you have not, if you have been unfaithful, that you will drink the words of this bitter water that had salt mingled with it. And the, and the words of the accusation is put in, she's to drink it. And then when you drink it, you'll become infertile. Your belly will swell. Your thigh will waste away. And all of these terrible things will happen to it. Are you willing to drink this water to prove that you haven't been unfaithful? And you know what the woman was supposed to say? Amen. Any time here in the Torah that the word amen is used or commanded for us to be spoken usually isn't a good thing. <laughs> amen means let it be done. So in the, the Cecil B. Mill movie where it's like, so let it be written, so let it be done. That's basically what you're doing whenever you say the word amen. You find yourself in agreement with a prayer that has been said, said or, or, or prayed with, you know, whether with your brethren or somebody who's been prayed over and you say the word amen. We do it kind of cavalier in if we just, you know, every prayer, yeah, of course, every prayer say, says amen. But the teaching of Torah about the word amen is this. Be careful what you say amen to. Be careful. By saying this, by confirming the words of a covenant, this is a word that is actually reserved for covenants by which that you are in agreement with all the words that have been said. If you find yourself possibly on the opposite end in any way, shape, or form of the words that were spoken and you say amen, you're a hypocrite. You are a liar and you are not one who is in the keeping of covenants. That's what the word amen means and that's something we should not take lightly in the course of any time we're speaking to our God, praying to the Lord our God, and recounting and, and confirming that we have a covenant with him by saying the word, amen. Chapter 28, once again, is more of the same. And, and this actually, chapter 28 reads very closely uh, to the majority of Leviticus chapter 26. Once again, repetition of the law that some, many of the words that we're seeing here in Deuteronomy do relate very closely with other words that have been spoken previously, either in the books of Exodus, Leviticus, or Numbers. And what we have here in the first 14 verses of chapter 28 is one of the just most feel-good passages of Scripture. Feel good. Where it says, now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above nations of the earth. Blessings will come upon you, and blessings will overtake you, because you've obeyed the voice of the Lord. Blessed you shall be in your city, or in the country, in the fruit of your body, in the fruit of their produce, in your basket, in your kneading bowl. And you shall become all of these amazing, blessed things. You should read this passage here, and man, it'll just put a big smile on your face as to what God will do for you if you keep the commandments. Key word in all of that is the word if, if you keep the commandments. Many of us have failed and not kept the commandments. So you know what gets to follow? For the rest of chapter 28, from verses 15 all the way through 68, 68 verses of curses that come upon you if you don't keep the commandments of God. Just like back to Leviticus 26, it's, it seems like Moses spends a whole lot more time emphasizing the curses that will befall us for breaking the commandments rather than the blessings that will come for keeping the commandments. Almost as if he knows which path we are more likely to take. Yes, we are much more likely to take the path by which we have failed to keep the commandment, that we have broken covenant relationship with God. But man, is it good that God is continually faithful to us. 
all of these things about these curses that come upon us and that curses that, that, will, that will befall us and that, that he goes and he recounts and, and the rest of chapter 28 reads like the very history of Israel. This one is actually even more brutal, I would say, than even Leviticus 26. Man, some of these things are really harsh when you're talking about truly that, that, that let me just read here verse 25, for example. Starting at verse 25, the Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them and flee seven ways before them. You shall become troublesome to all the kingdoms of the earth. Your carcasses shall be food for all the birds of the air, the beasts of the earth, and no one shall be frightened, uh, shall frighten them away. Man, whenever somebody's being called a carcass, that just is one of them. It's honestly one of the best insults you can give, but it's normally you don't want to be called that. Wouldn't, now, wouldn't you? Verse 27, the Lord will strike you with boils, boils of Egypt with tumors, with the scab and with the itch and with that cannot be healed. It's one thing to just say uh, skin conditions will befall you and you'll be stricken with leprosy. No, it's a whole other thing to go into the details of tumors and scabs and with the itch. It says my New King James, the itch. That doesn't sound very good. That sounds like a horror movie coming out this October. And so here we have God's curses and judgments coming upon us. And it says that you shall grope at noonday as the blind man gropes in the darkness. You shall not prosper in your ways and you shall not be oppressed and plundered continually and no one shall save you. That's one paragraph of all of these things and these curses that are coming upon us. I mean, this is where... Moses doesn't pull any punches here. Now, one of the things I like to always think about Moses is that he is pleading with the people of Israel to obey God. He knows they're going to they're going to disobey. He knows that these things are going to happen and that they're going to have to sell themselves to the alien who will become mightier than they and that there will be that their fortified walls will fall and their and their the enemies of Israel will come against them. And all of these things are going to come. And, and Moses is like you would read this and you would think it would be a big enough warning for you to obey what the Lord has said. For some people, it's not enough. For some people, they don't read this passage enough. Like I said before, who wants to read the, the, the negative terms of a contract? Who wants to, to recount uh, the terrible things that will happen if a contract is broken? Nobody wants to do that. However, that rereading, that recounting, that understanding of those negative things are actually necessary for you to follow them. We should have no fear or shy away from the words that are being spoken here. We should have no, we should not fear what's being spoken here. The only reason why I'm not reading every single word here in this passage is because my time is running short. But otherwise, I would encourage everybody to read every word of this law and this commandment and let the, let the fear of the itch come, come against you, understanding that if you break the covenant with God, these terrible things can and possibly will happen to you. These things. And you might think in the reading of some of these things, oh, that's, that's never happened to me. That's not, that's not truly going to happen to me. In fact, let me do read this one part in the, here's of, of concluding here in chapter 28. Let me start at verse 64 and let me read some of these words. And as I read these words, you might think, nah, it doesn't apply to me. No, give, give me a minute. Then the Lord will scatter you from among all peoples, from the ends of the earth to the other, and you shall serve other gods, which neither you nor your fathers have known, wood and stone. And among those nations you shall find no rest, 
nor shall the sore of your sole of your foot find a resting place. But there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, anguish of soul. Your life shall hang in doubt before you. You shall fear day and night and have no assurance of life. In the morning you shall say, oh, that it were evening. And in the evening you shall say, oh, that it were morning. Because of the fear which terrifies your heart and because of the sight which your eyes see. And the Lord will take you back to Egypt in ships. By the way of which I said to you, you shall never see it again. And there you shall be offered for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. This, now, now this one right here, some of those words might cut deep to some people. Anybody uh, listening to my voice ever struggle with depression? Ever struggle with the thing where it's like you, you feel like your life is hanging in the balance every single day? That you don't want to go to bed at night because the morning will come and it'll be just more of the same each day. Yet then when you wake up in the morning, you can't wait till the end of the evening when you can just crawl back into your bed and go to sleep. Anybody ever feel that way most days? Yeah, that's exactly what it, what it says is the curse that has befalled us. If we don't have an understanding of the relationship of God with us, if we've broken this covenant relationship with God, we're describing what people go through and deal with. The one that is that is truly depressed with their life, never, never feeling like you can rest, always feel, always having a trembling heart, failing eyes, anguish of soul, terrifying things by everything that your eyes see. What do you consume in, with your eyes? What do you what do you watch every single day? You watch, you know, dramas on television, and you see lots of hurt and pain and anguish that's that's happening in the world. And you might watch the news cycle that talks about how terrible this world is that the world is coming to. And you sit there and you sit there in fear and you're afraid for what your eyes see. You're afraid for the world your children are going to have to grow up and live in. And you just are just waiting it out. If you ever feel that way, I'll tell you why. Because the scripture said you would feel that way because the covenant with God has been broken. You have to renew your relationship with God to not feel these things and feel this way. That last thing I said where it's like you'll be offered to your enemies as male and female slaves and no one will buy you. Oh, we don't have slavery. I mean, it's not like I'm actually being falling into that situation. Yeah, how do you think the people standing in the unemployment line feel? Standing there that they've been, that, that they've been tossed to and fro. They've been dragged from one place to another, drugged through the mud. They're trying to find a job to, to, so that they can take care of their family and feed their family and feed themselves. And they sit there in the unemployment line and no one will hire them. It's like being a slave and no one wants to buy you. It's the modern day equivalent of it. And so you the people that really struggle with those things. My heart goes out to him because it's like that. That is a feeling that I don't wish on my worst enemy to feel that way, to feel just just completely worthless. But God said those things would happen if we don't follow the words of his covenant, if we don't obey his commandments. These words that were written down a long time ago, they're just as applicable to us today. Just as applicable. It's as if they're being spoken to you today. You might say, no, we don't do those things, surely. Or you try to reason out. And you're, you're still trying to reason this all like, well, no, at least we don't bow down to gods of, of wood and stone. No, actually, we do that, too. Let me, let me show you a modern day example of a, of a god of, of wood. Let me show you an example of a god of wood right here. 
Here's a god of wood right here in front of you. It's a dollar bill. Yes, I know American currency is made out of cotton and linen, so don't send any emails about this. But we call this paper money. Paper comes from wood, and there's a lot of people that worship this stuff. And they, everything that they do and everything they serve is all for that particular thing and that particular God. I'm going to, want me to show you one of stone. Here's one of stone right here. Money. Silver coin. Right there. This was chiseled and carved from rock, refined and stamped and placed with an image on it. And there are people that will do everything in their power and their body to serve that. And that is their God. We're not exempt from any of these words and the, the curses of this covenant. We're not. We might, want, we might want to. We want to avoid these words. We want to say, oh, I'm not Israel. That's for Israel. That's not for me. Mm-mm. That's not the God that we serve, and that's not who you think you are. You are who God says, says that you are. And when you, and we're, I'm talking about believers. I'm talking about people who confess a belief in God, but then say, oh, it's a good thing we don't have to worry about this. No, you have to worry about it, and I guarantee you, you have felt some of the curses of this covenant. You have. We've dealt with them in our lives. So what do we do about that? Let's go back. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, that's how you keep it from happening. This is the covenant that we have with God. This is the relationship. This is the things we must do to show that we obey Him. This is, the, this is where the rubber hits the road, people. We're coming down to the end of the Torah cycle. We're, we're coming to the last few things of Moses, the man who was Moses, pleading with you for you to understand. And I stand here today telling you today this is what you need to learn and understand. You don't get to avoid these things. You're going to serve something. You're either going to serve sin or you're going to serve righteousness. Choose. You're either going to live or you're going to die. Choose which one you want to do. In all of these things, in all the mistakes, here's the one bit of good news in all of these curses. None of these things said that you were dead. You were alive to experience these things, and you might wish that you were dead. But no, God still has given you life, given you one chance, one opportunity. You haven't, until you're not breathing anymore and standing before the judgment seat that God sits on, you still have a choice on what you're going to do and who you're going to be to your God and to your brethren and to yourself. Choose who are you going to be. One that obeys or one that disobeys. One that is blessed or one that is cursed. May I encourage you today to choose. Amen? All right. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you on this day. And Father, I pray that you would cause these words to ring in our ears and to, to may we meditate on all of these things, Father. This is, a, this is a challenging topic, Father. Father, we have to be mindful of the things we say. We have to be mindful of the things that we do. We can no longer be lax when we know and when we've come to an understanding of the power of your word, the power to bless and the power to curse. Father, may we never take any of these words lightly. May we understand the power of the covenant that we have with you the things that you have done, the things that our forefathers have said, the things that we have said that confirm that we are in covenant with you. Father, we need your help and we need your guidance. We need your Holy Spirit to help us to remember the words of the covenant. 
May we recount the words of the covenant, whether we're reading them from a scripture or reading them off of chiseled stone or whether we are doing so because you've commanded us to continue to come before you certain times of the year, each and every week, day by day to keep your covenant, Father. For the covenant of Sabbath, Father, you don't just command us to focus on you for one day, but Father, part of the covenant is to work for six days. So, Father, in every day, in every moment, in every breath that we breathe, may we understand the power of the covenant that we have with you. May we remember these words. May we understand the curses that will befall us if we do not keep these words in this covenant. And, Father, may we be very mindful of what we find ourselves in agreement with and what we say amen to. So, Father, pour out your mercies upon us. Pour out your kindness upon us in all the things that that we do and all the things that that we say and the actions that we take and how we go about and show to our Heavenly Father how much love that we have for you. We love you and we bless, bless you and thank you for all of this instruction, Lord. May we be blessed and encouraged to not fear the evening in the day and not fear the day in the evening, Lord but to wake up every day while your mercies are new each and every day to rejoice in each day that you have made. And may we take no fear in the things that we see, Lord, but may we turn our attention to you and put all trust in you when we see those things. Father, you are our everything. And may we never forget that. It's in your son Yeshua that we pray all of these things. Amen. The blessing after the Torah. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam Asher natan lanu Torah temet Fachai alam natah betocheinu Baruch atah Adonai nonten ha-Torah Amen Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who has given us the Torah of truth and has planted everlasting life in our midst. Blessed are you, O Lord, giver of the Torah. Amen. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the sun has set on a Friday night, bringing peace into your home. Families will gather all around singing Shabbat. Shalom, everybody sing. 
降落，降落，降落，降落